This week, we're talking to Hillary Biscay, Ultraman World Champion, 66-time Ironman, and most importantly, my former coach. Out of those 66 Ironman she's done, Hillary won one. She talks to us about the all-in effort it took to get that one, and how she was never the most talented, but always willing to work the hardest. The former Olympic trials breaststroker once fractured her femur during a race and tried to crawl to the finish. And here's what she's learned since then. Now, if you don't know one of the most prolific long course athletes in the sport, you will soon. All of that after this quick break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but also content across all our network brands like Outside Magazine, Backpacker, Velo News, and Trail Runner. With an Outside Plus membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, a $50 gear credit to the Outside Shop, which includes our library of training books, resources like our custom 70.3 training course and clean eating meal plans, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, a free event with outside events cycling series, and a discount on any races on Tri-Reg or Athlete-Reg. And you get access to Gaia GPS and Trail Forks to help you find great routes and an annual Finisher Picks photo package to memorialize your race afterwards. Plus, now all of our members get access to our first ever team triathlete a community of triathletes that includes Q&As with experts, training plans, in-person meetups, and team swag and giveaways. We'll be with you on your triathlon journey from start to finish. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside P-L-U-S, one word. Become an Outside Plus member today. All right, this week we're talking to Hillary Biscay, Ironman champion, Ultraman world champion. And Hillary, I looked it up, and the last one on record says that you had done 66 Ironmans. Is that still true? What is the full number of Ironmans you've done? 66 Iron distance races, because some of them were challenge right. events. Um, but yep, 66 hasn't changed since 2014. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna, is it ever going to change or is it just going to be 66 for the rest of your uh, life? You know what? Maybe like in my 60s, I will re-enter the world of Ironman as a very, very uh, mediocre middle of the pack to back of the pack age grouper, but um, probably not before that. <laughs> I feel like I should also preface this with Hillary was my coach for what, four or five years. So I feel like I know all of Hillary's rules, but I was reading some other like profile of you and it was like your two rules, no Dropping out, no walking. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, those are the two. Those are the two, and um, and yeah, well, and it, it was no, no, you can't like stop or drop out unless you have a, either a broken right femur or a broken left femur. And this was actually my mantra because I, I got that from an article that Scott Tinley wrote. He used to write this awesome back page article right. of Prathley Magazine back in the day when I was first racing, and this is before he got really sort of, you know. Professorial, right? Like different, but different way of thinking. But back when he was still like kind of really hardcore <laughs> in the way he wrote and talked, he wrote this back page article of Triathlete Magazine that I loved. And one of the ones that I read back in my early days, Ironman Racing, that was a quote from him was that those are the only two reasons you should stop. And I like fully internalized that. And that was my like mantra. And I would tell my friends, like, guys, we're going to finish this race. Like, we're definitely going to get there. Like, 
I mean, we're not going to break our leg. Broken right, right femur, left femur. It's the only reason one of us wouldn't finish. And legit, I broke my femur in, during Ironman New Zealand and crawled for like three miles before they forced me off the course, disqualified me, told me I was done, that I had a broken femur. And I'm like, how do you know? How could you possibly know? Anyway, so that's the only Ironman that I haven't finished that's not counted in my 66. Um, was when I got disqualified by the head race doctor and shoved in an ambulance with a broken femur. So yeah. at, at what point were you like, oh, I'm going to crawl three miles instead? Like, well, I feel like most people, when you resort to that, you're like, yeah, I probably should drop out. It, it truly it all came back to that dang rule because having never broken a bone before, like you don't know, hmm. all you know is that you have pain, but like that it's a broken bone is not like I had pain and I felt this popping in my like hip. Um, but what does a broken femur feel like? I had no clue. So as long as that wasn't verified, I still had to finish. And I knew I had plenty of time. Like before I collapsed with like five miles to go or whatever, I think I was on track for, you know, 10, high 10, mid to high 10. So I had several hours left and I knew I could <laughs> get there eventually. <laughs> okay. So just to get, like people who don't know Hillary now know Hillary. Like... <laughs> I mean, when I think about it now, it's like slightly embarrassing to think of myself like crawling along the shores of Lake Taupo, like as if I was like at the finish line of some professional race and I was an age grouper. Like I was like, I mean, but I just was had this rule in my head and I was just going to try to get there. Okay. But you didn't actually, I mean, I guess it's, you started out as a swimmer. Like you swam your whole life. You swam twice a day. You were also pretty intense about swimming is my mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah, I was intense about swimming. I was very intense about swimming. Um, and so this triathlon was like a replacement for that. Well, I mean, not like a replacement, but I mean, I, I, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, I swam through the Olympic trials in 2000. I graduated from USC in 2000, swam there and continued swimming through August for the Olympic trials. Um, never was it like a, an actual Olympic candidate, but was just so thrilled to be there and have that experience having qualified for the first time. Um, but I knew then that, like my, I had no career as a professional swimmer. Like I wasn't good enough, um, but I just loved it. I loved swimming so much. I loved the grind. I loved being part of um, the team I was on. I was on just an amazing team. A lot of people who did get to go to the Olympics that year. Um, so I knew I needed to find another goal. Um, and so started, you know, running and doing various triathlon stuff Things. just to have something to train for. How does one you said you loved the grind. Is that just like a thing? Like, did you always, how does somebody lo learn to love the grind? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong every morning. I mean, I remember in college and my alarm would go off at either five fifteen or five forty five, depending on whether I was in the quote unquote fat group that week and had to run before practice. Um, oh man. You yeah, can imagine how college programs have changed. Yeah. And that was what it was basically unofficially called. Um, I was never like, Oh hell yeah. I'm ready to get at it. Like get me out of bed. But um, it, so it's, it's, but it's more, but yet when it was like the two weeks out of the year that we had off season, I definitely like, didn't feel like myself and hmm. I didn't feel great. And, um, and so I knew that like, I need that like routine and that a certain level of activity, maybe not like five hours a day, but like, I needed that for my sanity really. I mean, that was just like, that was just the life that I knew. And that was how I knew I was like, I'm like my best person when I'm still, when I'm, when I do, I'm in that mode. 
Is it true you uh, left University of Michigan because you didn't think they were serious enough at swimming? <laughs> Did everyone else tell you that? <laughs> Where did that come from? I mean, yeah, it came from somewhere. And I was like, wait, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, no, there's two things. One is I'm like a total winter wimp. And uh, oh, yeah. again, well, this comes back to my perhaps like questionable, like mental state of mental health or something, but I did not, not do well with the like gray winter situation. I definitely oh, yeah. had to get like a happy light. One of those things in my dorm room, for, like fake sunlight. Cause I was definitely a bit like, I guess depressed. I don't know. I, I was definitely not like at my best, <laughs> um, like happiness wise. And, um, but yeah, ultimately, so that was definitely a factor. I came home the summer after freshman year and trained, with the club team at USC and remembered how, how like, or just realized how amazing it is to swim outside in the sunshine. So that was one thing, but yes, um, the Michigan team was second at NC2As my senior year. So I was going into this program that was very high level and I was a small fish in a big pond, which is exactly the way I like it. And, um, and so I was so stoked to train with all these athletes that were just so much more accomplished than I was and to like learn from them. And, you know, I got there and we had this um, wonderful, lovely, very nice man who was a coach, Jim Richardson. He's just such a lovely person, um, but not at all um, a like, <laughs> not at all a sort of hardcore, uh, strict kind of guy. And he had all these kind of very talented athletes on his team that he had recruited that didn't have to train like I did. Um <laughs> <laughs> and there weren't any sort of like rules about attendance at practice and like, I'm going to show up every day, twice a day, whether I'm getting paid for it at, with a scholarship or not, but not everybody was on that same page. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it ended up that at the end of the season, I mean, I was used to having only two weeks off the entire year. And at the end of the college season, I mean, there was like a month at the end of the school year or more where Emily Cox and I met by ourselves, like, twice a day and swam. We made up our own workouts and trained by ourselves. Like there was no team workout. And we did our own workouts until finally the men's coach who John Urbanchek, who was an absolute legend. It was so hardcore. John invited us to train with the men's team because the men's team was having training. And so Emily and I, for the last, like, I don't know, two or three weeks of the school year got to train with the legendary John Urbanchek and the men's team. And I loved every second of it. And had he been the women's coach, that is right. I probably never would have left. Um, but it was, um, you know, I, I, I did. And whereas at USC, Mark Schubert was an absolute sort of slave driver. And um, he just somewhat argue was too strict and too controlling. But I love that at least everyone was on the same page. And everyone was mm -hmm. going to like work their tails off all day, every day. And that whether they liked it or not. <laughs> so I, I think like this is your thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you said, you know, you, you knew you weren't going to make it as a swimmer. So you started running, but like, try to put it nice. You're not like the most graceful runner. No, right? I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm terrible. I am so not a runner at all. And now I, I guess what I should say is when I started doing triathlon, it wasn't like I had zero designs of like, I'm going to go and do this as a living. No, it was just like, I just want to train for something just right. to have I mean, I thought I was just like just out there for like fitness, basically. I never in a zillion years would I have been thinking I'm going to be a pro or anything like that. It was just I wanted to have an athletic goal to get me out of bed. Um, and it was 
my last race was in August and I looked and I found like a sprint triathlon, the Hermosa beach sprint that fall. So I did that. And I had actually done that my senior year in college. So I had done that race once, like really with just like out of nowhere, I had ridden my bike like for five miles before the race. Um, so I entered that one again, but then I realized, oh, triathlon season's kind of done. There's nothing for me to train for until like next year. So I entered CIM and that year and trained, um, trained for a marathon. So that was kind of how I started with running, just because that was the first thing I could find to do. Um, like, sure, sure. Why not? Yeah. And then I did that. And then the next, I loved it. And then the next month, my I had a friend swindle me into doing the Catalina 50 miler with her. So I did that. And then... Iron Man. So I had another friend, my cousin, I think really, he wanted to do Iron Man Florida and I had just done Catalina, which took me like, I think nine hours and 40 minutes or something. And he wanted to do Iron Man Florida. And I thought, okay, if I just ran for like nine and a half hours, surely I can do three sports for like 13 hours. And so I entered Florida having only done two sprint triathlons. So That's that was how we got to Iron Man. <laughs> and how did that go? <laughs> like, you know? It, I loved it. I totally loved it. Um, I thought I was a total rock star. It took me 12 hours and 29 minutes. A bike ride took 7.03. I <laughs> had clip-on arrow bars on my road bike, and I couldn't figure out how to use them. Like, I just remember that every time I got down on my arrow bars, I would, like, lose control of my bike and almost crash. So I did all of Florida sitting up on my, like, hand, like, on the hoods. And, um, yeah, but, I, you know, it was 18 to 24, and I think this is so much of what got me hooked is I was so young. And in those days, there were not a lot of young people doing right. Ironman. So I think literally with 1229, I was like fourth in my age group. And I'm like, I'm so good. You know, I mean, most people would, you know, now especially would have seen me at Ironman Florida and never in a zillion years would have bet their money that I would be pro triathlete eventually. But I I just didn't know any better. I'm like, oh, I'm like, so awesome. I did 12 and a half hours and then so fast. And I still at that point wasn't thinking about becoming a pro, but it was at least like positive feedback and got me hooked. Um, and I knew straight away from that, that I like wanted to do more Ironman. Okay. And I mean, so we kind of like, you clearly did, you eventually learned how to ride an error bars. You're also kind of joking out you're not that graceful runner. I feel like, but you like learned along the way, right? Yeah. I mean, my running still is hideous, um, <laughs> but it's efficient and I don't get injured. Um, but yeah, I, I guess what I should say about running is it's definitely my my true love. It's my favorite thing to do of all the three. And so I, what I like to say is like triathlon is this like vehicle for me, was this vehicle for me to be able to like run a lot and like make a living. And because um, I simply love running and to run like 100 miles a day if I could. It's just so I just love it so much. But I'm not fast. Uh, I'm not fast, but I'm strong and I can suffer a lot. So it's if you put me in a running race at the end of something really long, like at the end of lots of swimming and biking, that's where I like, might be able to compete. Um, okay. So that was kind of how that happened. But Brett Sutton really is the one who taught me how to run in a way that with a style that I could run a lot of miles and, um, and not get injured. And also with a style that no matter like how tired I am, my form doesn't break down. Cause I just basically just shuffle along. Um, and so it's just something that it's just a nice, sustainable style that that I'm never going to like totally blow up no matter how tired I am, because I can just kind of maintain that form all day, as ugly as it may be. <laughs> so you were like doing, you know, doing Ironman's so rockstar 25 year old, but you were still, I mean, you were still trying to get your PhD, still in yeah. school, English. 
at what point were you like, actually, I think I should, you know, sell all my stuff, go in and train with <laughs> Brett Sutton, try and become a pro? Um, I'll tell you exactly when. So um, yeah, when I, when I got into my last couple of years of racing age grouper and racing more seriously, I was in a PhD program at USC in English and teaching at USC. And I loved all of that so much. Um, it, for me, it wasn't when I made the decision, it wasn't like a, yay, I get to quit my job. It was like, I was, it was really a tough choice. Like I, I just, I really love what I was doing. Um, but I felt that time was of the essence for triathlon and not as much for academia. So after two and a half years in the program, and like I had at least a master's degree along the way to show for myself. Um, so I felt like if I didn't go back, it wasn't a total throwaway. Um, the program would allow me to take a two-year leave of absence, uh, no questions asked, and come back in good standing at any point within two years. So I, I knew I had, in my mind, I had two years to see if I could make a go of this okay. triathlon thing. And, and so I guess to back up, I had, yeah, I had gotten sort of more and more serious racing age group. I had qualified to race pro. Um, I raced my first pro Ironman while I was still in school. And that was also the year that I broke my hip. Um, I broke my hip at Ironman New Zealand and made it a goal to do an Ironman in that calendar year. Um, it was like what kept me motivated when I was, you know, spinning with no resistance on a recumbent bike for 20 minutes as a workout. So um, as it turned out, I actually had to take my pro card to get into Ironman Florida that year because it was full. Uh, so I thought, well, if this blows up, I can... You can always you can change status at the end of the season. So I thought if this blows up, I'll just go back to age group next year. But I went to Florida. I had my fastest marathon yet in a, in a race. I had my had a PR. I finished like tenth out of twenty one pros. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's like respectable. And I had just broken my hip and and had surgery like in March. So I felt good about that. I felt confident that I could have a crack. Um, so that was when I started my leave of absence. But I gave myself two years um, because I didn't want to throw away this opportunity at USC um, if this wasn't going to be a viable uh, profession. So I did one year as a pro with no coach. I had never had a coach and I was very resistant to that um, because of just how structured the swimming program had been at USC. And I wanted like, and our, I mean, our coach controlled like every aspect of our lives. And I was like, Oh, I just want this to be fun. I just want it to be fun. I just want to, and so I did that and I had a lot of success with that. Um, but then once I hit the big leagues, I really started to plateau that first full year yeah. I raised pro. I was really plateauing and I really started to turn into a head case. Um, and like analysis paralysis, you know, what should I do for my workout tomorrow? And I'd have a plan and then I'd change it the next morning. And oh God. So never been there. No. Yeah. <laughs> As I was saying that, I was like, oh my gosh, actually, like Kelly, what is that? But yeah, that was how I was. And um, and so that then ceases to be fun. <laughs> and it also right. ceases to be fun when you stop getting the results. So that first year, I remember, I earned $3,500 in prize money. And I had one sponsor for $5,000. Um, so that was my grand total of like triathlon related income, which obviously is not going to cut the mustard. So at that point, I was like, okay, I have T minus one year left, like we need to take drastic measures. And so I had a friend who was connected with Brett Sutton and who's actually a really good friend. Who's an age grouper here who, who was like knew his stuff, like, and 
knew of Brett Sutton and this and Brett had coached him and he had been as an age group for a couple of Brett's camps. This is when Brett was like, didn't even have an email account. I mean, you literally had to like email his wife to like get in touch with him in his hut in the mountains. Like, I mean, this was like old school and no one at Ironman really thought of Brett as an, no one thought of Brett as an Ironman coach. Like he was an Olympic distance coach. He had one Ironman athlete. No, sorry to Elizabeth Christensen or Becca Preston. That's it. And so people just didn't think of him as coaching Ironman. And he was, and he was just like, this is very sort of off the grid to do this. But my friend Brent connected me uh, to Sutto and, and he recommended him saying, just, I mean, I had been hearing stories about Brett Sutton for years about how crazy he was and the things he made his athletes do and how strict he was. But that was like the polar opposite of the way I was living my life at that point in time. And I was like, I need to do this. I just need to go all in because I literally have one year left and this is like where the rubber hits the road. So I had this email correspondence with Brett and thankfully my friend who was close with Brett vouched for me. Um, so he gave me a chance. Um, he basically sent me an email and our, he asked me for my whole history and results. And he basically sent me this email and the quote was, uh, well, the bike is shit. The run is shit. And for a swimmer, the swim is shit too. <laughs> but I'm willing to give you a chance if you want to come to Switzerland for a trial. And I was like, thank you, sir. May I have another great, I'm coming, packed up. All, I had moved to Bend thinking that was going to like, I had been hit by a car training on PCH in LA and it right. was not good. So I had this PTSD. I had moved to Bend, Oregon, and I was training out of there. Um, and I had just moved there a few months earlier. Um, and so I put all my stuff in storage in Bend. I gave up my apartment and went to Switzerland. And um <laughs> And that was how I joined Brett. And that was, that was three years, but that next year, um, to, for comparison, I raised six Ironmans. I earned $27,000 in prize money, which was a ton at that time, a ton. I had to raise my tail off to earn that money. But, um, I, I think I, six Ironmans and I think I was on the podium, like, I think I was top three, like four or five times. I don't even know. I can't even remember now, but, um, it was like a massive, corner was turned and right that's I mean it was like midway through that season I was like okay we're good like we're gonna make a go of this and that that was it I mean that was kind of like Brett say what people can say what they want about him but Brett Sutton truly um changed my life and I would I am 100% sure that I would not have ever been able to make a career in this sport if I hadn't worked with him you say you did six that year. You did like another seven the next year, nine the next year. I mean, when you yeah. eventually won Ironman Wisconsin, mm -hmm. it was like your ninth race of the year or something crazy like that. Yeah. Because now like yeah. people are starting to talk more and more about people racing all the time. Mm -hmm. But there's some people have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. It was not a thing then amongst the professionals. It was definitely <laughs> not a thing. Um, I think it was just Peter Babrushek, really. And I doing that. Um, but because I was not I won I mean at 66 Ironmans I won one so like that's I'm not like winning every a bunch of races and earning a bunch of prize money and um also you know I had sponsors that bonus to you for like top three usually that kind of thing but I really had to hustle to like make a dollar because because I, I wasn't it wasn't wasn't just cashing in on these like big wins and these big bonuses all the time so I was really like a journeyman pro. I mean, it was just, you know, just doing what I had to do to pay the bills. And fortunately for me, like I love racing. So it's not like this was a big like sacrifice or a big imposition on my life. Like I was quite happy to race all the time. Um, and that's what I had to do to make a living. And also um, I 
tend to suffer, or I did as a swimmer, I really suffered from performance anxiety. Um, and so I found for me mentally, one of the reasons I love triathlon is that that wasn't as much of a factor ever for me, because I think there's something about having a race that's two minutes long and knowing that if you screw up like one turn, if you glide too long into one turn, that's it. Like, and there's so much pressure with that. Um, and it really messed with my head. So that was a big problem for me as a swimmer. And I loved Ironman because I knew I could make the mistakes and then you make up for them. Like at the end of the day, if you're super fit, you can pretty much make up for like any little mistake you make on the race course. Um, but that said, I did, I love that the back-to-back racing like really took the pressure off. Like I was like, Oh, just another day, just another day at the races. Like this is what I do every weekend. And, and similarly, like going into Wisconsin, having raced Louisville the weekend before, I was like, no one expects like me to do anything. Like, of course, like no one expects me to like win this race. No one expects anything at that time. Definitely no one expected anything of you having raced an Ironman the weekend before. Um, and I love that. I love that it like really took the pressure off because like I do my best with that, like in that kind of setting for sure. But did it ever, uh, I mean, so like mentally pressure is one thing, but then physically, like physically, literally, you still had done an Ironman a week before. I had. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't definitely didn't feel great. Um, <laughs> I would like definitely, um, the run typically like legs would, the bike would be a crapshoot. Like sometimes it would feel okay the second week and sometimes it wouldn't. Mm. The run always felt like not so fresh. Um, but you don't have to be like, I mean, in those days, you didn't have to be super speedy to like, I mean, when I won Wisconsin, granted it's not a terribly fast run course, but I think I ran a 324 or something or 325 around there. So it's not, we weren't like, it wasn't requiring a ton of like speed per se. You just had to be right. strong and be able to just like hold a pace all day. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it physically, it, it never felt like amazing, but I will say I, I would not, I would not rest a ton into the first Sato never rested us a ton. And, but so we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a lot of rest going into the first one. And I think that mm-hmm. like helped. Had you done a long taper into Ironman number one, I think number two would be really brutal. Um, oh, interesting. But I remember when I won Wisconsin, I was fourth in Louisville the weekend before, but like we had, we were all super close. Like I, like I had a taste of the win that weekend for sure. And even though I was fourth, it, it was actually quite a close race. And um, I came out of there like having some good confidence for the following weekend. But so I had basically what I, my point is I had two quite good Ironmans in a row. And that weekend before Louisville, I will never forget. I did Seto's famous 800 set on the track, the 800 plus 200. I usually would do like 30 repeats of that. The weekend before I did 42. So I did a full marathon on the track of intervals, 42 times 800 plus 200 float. But that's it's straight, right? So that's a straight marathon. Right, right, right. Recovery is the 200 float. And that the Sunday... Next Sunday, Ironman Louisville. The next Sunday, one Wisconsin. So, dude, Hillary, you made me do 21 of those one time, and I got lost on my like one mile jog back to my house in the neighborhood because I was so out of it. I was like wandering around, like, how do I get home? <laughs> like, I mean, this is a thing is at least like I never ask my athletes to do stuff that I haven't done. Well, like now I have to ask Alyssa to do things that I haven't done because she's sort of a different, like, different sort of genre of right. race than I have done. But, um, but besides that, I'm pretty, I'm usually, 
Like I, I can at least say that for myself. Like as much as like crazy, some of the things I ask my athletes to do are, they always know that I've done something, I've done it or I've done something like way worse. So that's good. It's always reassuring, I think. <laughs> so the thing about winning Ironman, was, like you said, you only won one out of 66. Mm-hmm. But besides the two years you gave yourself to see if you could make it as pro, you also had like a deal with Sudden, right? Uh, for like three, like give me three years on wow. your squad. And that was like right at the end, right? And and. I think that was sort of like, all right, well, you did it. You won one. Like, you're yeah. done now, right? Like- yeah. I, I totally forgot about that until this moment. That Until you said that. <laughs> I, and it's funny because, God, I was talking with somebody. I think at camp, somebody was asking me about this. Oh, I was talking with Kara about this at camp. And, um, but I forgot. And I was telling her how he basically, like, fired fired me at the end of three years after I won, but I had forgot that he had said three years at the outset, give me three years and you'll win an Ironman. And that's right. I literally won. Like it, it was like the three year mark. I joined him in September of 05 and September of 08 was when I won Wisconsin, which is bananas. Um, but yeah. And then after that, he was like, okay, like, see you later. <laughs> um, and I, I had just turned 30. So, and, and I was like more motivated than ever. Cause I had been, I mean, really living, eating and breathing that like Ironman win. I had been close like a handful of times. And and, um, and so I really just like lived to like get that win. And at Wisconsin of all places, that was my race. And that was where it was going to happen. And um, right. so I'd finally done it after like all these like years of like, I mean, being in sudden camp basically for three years. I mean, this is like your entire life. Like I really everything was dedicated to that moment. And, um, so I was super fired up and motivated and like, yeah, what's next? And I just turned 30. I was young. And he was like, this, he literally said, the sport's going to run away from you. Like, this is as good as it gets for you. And, um, in hindsight now, like he was right. I mean, he was right. That, that was, that was my moment Like that, you know, I am not the most talented athlete at all. And I had to do a lot of crazy, crazy work to get that done. Um, but and he's right. The sport did run away from me. Like he, he's abs- once again, he was right, but I wasn't ready to be done then. I just loved it too much. Um, and so I had to move on and like find another coach, other coaches um, and find a way to keep competing. But it was, that was really tough because yeah, part of Sutton's magic is, I mean, as it is with any coach, but especially with Brett, because of the nature of the things he's asking you to do are just so kind of out there and hard <laughs> that like um, it requires like 100% buy-in. And so I've just spent three years just like 100% doing whatever he wants. And like everything he tells me, like I take that as the word of, of the law, like, you know, this, I, you have to believe hundred percent. And so to go from that to, okay, now I'm going to decide to, think that Brett's wrong and I'm going to carry on and like prove that like I'm not done and whatever. I mean, I raced like shit for like two years, basically. I mean, I had a couple okay races, but um, those were, I mean, every time I was on the race course, like his words were like playing in my head. I mean, talk about uh, like I, it was, and when things got tough, I'm like, he was right. You are done. Like I remember just being out there on the bike and the story of my life on the bike typically like on a not good day, was it just like, I come out of the water first, usually. And so if I had a good day, I could hold that on the bike for some time or even the whole time. But on a on a bad day, I'm just like watching people fly past me on the bike. And I just remember so many Ironmans where I'm watching people ride past me like one at a time. And like Brett's like th- words just re- repeating on a loop in my head, like you're done. This is it. Like, and he was right. And yeah. And I mean, and that was really hard, really hard, like overcoming yeah. that and like flipping the switch in my brain that went from 
hundred percent buy into his, you know, he's the, the authority then trying to like overturn that. And that, that was super tough, super tough. How do you, so what did you do? You know, I think it really just took time. Um, okay. and I really feel it, it was just kind of like, you know, a, a, a couple races where I remember like in particular being a turning point, like Ironman 2013 Brazil, which I think I was like, I couldn't even tell you place I was it, fifth. I don't even know. It wasn't fourth. It wasn't like a crazy impressive place, but I remember that race feeling like that was a really good performance. Like feeling like that was up there with my best performances. Like I just, I just knew I could just tell, I'm kidding. I don't remember who else was there besides Haley. <laughs> like I just, I just, wherever I stacked up, I just had this feeling that like, no, I race like at that level again. And then, but it, by that time that was, it was fourth or whatever it was. Like I'm right, right, right. misquoting my place. It shows you like how much in the end it actually matters the place you were. But, um, and that enabled me to springboard into like the race of my life really at Ultraman World Championships that year. Um, yeah. So how, I mean, Obviously, Ultraman's more normal now, but I like when you did it and you won uh, the World Championship. I mean, it was still a little bit of a, still a little fringe. Yeah. Still a little like, what are you yeah. talking about? Um, why would you, why, why, why? Like, I had that race in my head literally since 2004. Okay. 2004, Jonas Colting. This is like, mm, last yeah. people might not even know who that is. He was a Swedish pro. He's won Otillo a bunch of times. Um, he's super involved in the world, the world of swim run now. So, mm-hmm. People who are swim run folk will know Jonas Colting, but he um, was a quite a talented pro. I think his best result was like second at Ironman New Zealand, but he, we became really good friends. In fact, I had a massive crush on him um, back in the day. And um, he would come through Southern California to train some, and we, we would um, train and that kind of thing with Jorn Anderson. And I'm just really dating myself, all these old people. <laughs> um, but Jonas did Ultraman back in like 04 and 05 or 03 and 04. And um, we were really good friends. I mean, I remember, so he's the one that told me about the race. And I remember, and, I, and I, at the time I like so looked up, looked up to him. I was a very new pro and he was like super accomplished in my mind, taught me a lot of stuff. And um, I remember speaking to him on the phone between days two and three of Ultraman. I think it was a year he won. And he, I have literally, like, he's the most, like, confident dude. He, this guy was scared shitless. Like, I remember his <laughs> voice on the phone, how terrible he felt and how petrified he was to run a double marathon the next day. I mean, he was like a shell of a human. And I was like, this is so awesome. I can't wait to do this one day. <laughs> and that is why it had been in my head, like, since then. And okay. So I did it in 2010 for the first time um, because I had literally wanted to do it for years. And by 2010, I was like looking for a new challenge. Um, and so I tried it then. But yeah, that was it was all because of Jonas that I had it in my in my brain. And once I had a taste of it in 2010 and we had a ding dong battle, um, there was two other like really strong women there. And um, we had a ding dong battle. I ended up second. I had some made some like really critical errors and I've had some very, very tough times in that race. And I definitely, after that, I knew it unfinished business and I had to go back and it took me three years to get back there because it was so traumatizing. Like it was so, so hard, so hard. Oh. How, like what, I mean, if you're already doing crazy training, right? Like you're like the stuff you're doing is already nuts. What, what, what is like the next step then for Ultraman? Like how do you train more for Ultraman? Yeah. You know what? Um, quite honestly, my, like both times I did it, what I basically did was 
um, like in 2010, I raced Kona and then from Kona to Ultraman, which is like six or seven weeks, it's not very long at all. So I just did Ironman training all year after Kona flipped into Ultraman mode. So it was like Ultraman mode for like six weeks. And that just meant, um, the way I do, I did Ultraman training and the way I train like most of my athletes for Ultraman as well as I just, it really is Ironman plus. And it's, it's that the plus is these two to three day massive blocks that you do. Uh, in those, like in those few weeks of like Ultraman training or the way that I, I did a, a few weeks of Ultraman training. Um, same thing in 2013, I didn't race Kona, but I went there and worked my tail off with Smash Fest Queen. We had a booth and I was coaching and I basically was like burning the midnight oil. And then after right. also training, but, um, after that week, I, well, day after the race did the 10 K Ultraman swim course, of course. And then, um, that kicked off my Ultraman block, which again was like a six week specific block of these like, yeah, two to three days of big stuff, you know, ride 140 miles, ride 100 miles the next day, do a 50k training run at pace um, in 2013. And let me let me see. One of those now 2013, I did rim to rim to rim as part of my Ultraman mm-hmm. training um, in that time frame. just stuff like that. So those like extra long things or extra long things on top of each other that I do remember you telling me that 2013, like you said, you were working the expo at Kona with like your new, like you guys were relatively new, like yeah. clothing company then. You had like five or six athletes there and you were trying to train. train. I remember you telling me you were like, either I'm not going to make it to the start line yep. or I'm going to win this thing. 100%. 100%. Yeah, that was exactly it. Like I was literally, uh, yeah, it was literally like in that build, I was so fried. That was, it was, we were a year into Smash Best Queen. I was answering every single customer service email. I shipped every single order out. Like we had the warehouse in my house. I was coaching and then was in, was in Kona working the expo also coaching. Um, and, um, that build was so tough because I was really, by that point, I was my last couple of years of my career, I was really, really working so much on top of the professional athlete. Um, that, yeah, I like, really felt in that build up to Ultraman that it was either going to be I was going to be collapsed in a heap, like spent all my emotional tokens, like all my digging deep happened and just getting the work done. Right. And so you get to the race course, and you've got nothing left to, to right. give when things get hard. I literally thought it was like it was gonna that was gonna happen or I was gonna nail it. But it was just such a fine line. And I did nail it. Thank God. I mean, I'm I, I just sometimes still can't believe it. Um, That was truly like a my as perfect a race as I would ever kind of have there, I think. Um, but it was, it was dicey. It was really dicey. And um, I think, yeah, that, that was the beginning of the end of my racing career. It was like, <laughs> yeah. That was not going to be sustainable. Well, there are like a lot of, obvi- there are a ton of pros now who have side businesses or started their own businesses, but I mean, I don't want, like you weren't like the first, but there, you were early on in the like, I'm going to start another business and like set myself up before I quit. Cause you started smash fast. Like you said, clothing mm-hmm. company, and then you, I mean, you guys have, you have like an actual coaching business now with coaches under you coaching athletes yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming you kind of saw the end coming and you decided to set all those things up to transition. Yeah. I mean, I, I had coached from, from the year that I started racing pro. Um, mm. I got a coaching job through this little clinic in LA where I did like one-on-one swimming lessons and coaching uh, one-on-one coaching. So I started literally in 2005. And then right. when I left LA, some of my athletes just came with me and then that business like grew, but I always kept the numbers like quite small, um, 10, eight, 10 athletes. Um, yeah. Until like the later years of my career. And then 
I had more athletes. And then I think at the very end of my racing career, I had maybe one or two coaches working for me. Um, but yeah, so that was like, and even in the years when I was racing and I truly actually didn't need extra income, I didn't need to be doing extra work. I kept coaching because I loved it. And, um, and so I was grateful, like definitely that I already had that going. Cause I do think it's tough when it's like you retire and then you're hanging up your shingle and like posting on Facebook, like, Hey everybody, now I'm a coach and people see through that. Right. I mean, it's just, it's like, Oh, there's a person retiring and they need to make a living. But whereas I don't know, for me, it was just like, I always just loved it and I couldn't not do it. And then when I, now that I have more time, I am able to do more of it. But, um, but yeah, with smash best queen, it was built out of, uh, you know, us wanting my business partner, Michelle and I wanting some better, better clothes to train and race in. Um, but I definitely knew, yeah, that those last, those couple of years that I probably had, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure when I was going to be done, but I knew it would be in the near future and that I just needed to, yeah, burn the candle at both ends to set things up for when I was done. But it was tough in those days because to your point, I mean, it's, it's a little bit sad, but in those days there was, there were a lot more opportunities for professional triathletes mm-hmm. in terms of sponsorship and, and prize money and that kind of thing. Um, so people could really be like full-time professional triathletes. Um, and whereas now that's, it's, you know, almost impossible. There's a handful of people who can do that, but, but it's, it's really not very common. Um, but it did make it tough in those last couple of years getting on a start line because like I knew, I mean, I had done it with Brett Sutton. I had done the like hundred percent all in, and in those last couple of years, like I would get on the start line and look around and I knew there were women that were like, do a lot, most of the women, you know, that I was racing against, you know, were able to do it, you know, that way or much closer to that. And, and I knew I was no longer um, doing things that way. And, and I knew that was, it was not the, the way I was doing it was not like optimizing my performance. And so it confidence wise, that was also tough right. um, in the end for sure. Do you think that then, I mean, there's two things here, right? Like the, like you, like you said, I mean, the, you said the field ran away for you, but in reality, I mean, the women's field has just gotten faster, deeper, right? Yeah. Like that has happened. But at the same time, like you're saying, like most of them are working other jobs. How is that, yeah. how does that even work? Like, how is that even possible? I know, I know, I know, I know. No, it's wild. I mean, just the bar, the bar keeps getting raised. I mean, but it, in all the sports, right? I mean, I look at, like, look at swimming times now right. and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, and it's just, it's wild. It's wild. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, it's a thing, right? You, uh, so you actually raised the 200 breaststroke, brush right? Yep. What was your, what was your best time then? Two what long course your... meters, 233.75. It's still okay. my password for like various, um, various <laughs> internet accounts. So, um, so yeah, so I remember that time. <laughs> what could you do it in now? Oh my gosh. I mean, three and a half minutes, maybe? I don't even know. Okay. I actually sometimes have a dream that I'm like, have to race the 200 breaststroke. I had a dream. And now that you're saying it, I had that, I had a dream the other night. Really? Haley. And I think she was like, you could go like a 245, couldn't you? You could just do that, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? No. No. no not even close. Probably a minute slower. My feet don't even turn that way anymore from running. Like, it's like, uh, I don't even have that like flexibility anymore to do a proper like breaststroke kick. I mean, I do it like to loosen up, but I couldn't even effectuate like a, like good breaststroke kick anymore. <laughs> so what is your actual, like how, I know when you retired, you were still training like three hours a day, right? So like, how much are you actually doing now? What is your training regime, your goals? Um, 
I now, I would say like my average week is like 50 miles of running ish. And then if I'm lucky, I, I get in the pool for mm. 3000. Um, I try to do, I haven't gone for a month cause I didn't want to get COVID, but I try to do F45 twice a week for strength. I'm just like a little concerned about being locked in a classroom with people and not in masks. So, um, right. my normal is, is last year was the first year ever that I counted my uh, mileage for running. Cause like, I don't do Strava. I don't do, I don't even like bike and I share a Garmin. So I don't even like do keep, keep all my files in Garmin or anything. But only, the one thing I did last year was I recorded all my running miles. Um, in a Google like on paper, like what was that? Like on paper, you like wrote them and down so it can tally it for me. And um, and it was so every day, all I wrote was like the number, just like not the workout, nothing, just like how many miles. And I did it for a whole year. I've never done that before, but it started because I did a like five k run streak. So I did seven months of five k a day. Um, so January through July, I did that. Um, but anyways, I ran 2,448 miles last year. So whatever that amounts to, I like to say it's a lot, 50 ish miles a week. Um, and I, every Tuesday morning, I have a group of pals and a couple of athletes that we coach that I do a track workout with. And I'm always, we've done it for like two years straight now, every Tuesday morning during COVID and we were locked out. We did it like on the street downtown. That's like kind of flat. Um, 5.30 every Tuesday we meet. And like this week we were nine ladies strong. It started out with two of us. Um, and I set the workout every week. We do track and that's Tuesdays. And then that with that group, I also often do a tempo run or long run. Um, but yeah, I'm like in no kind of shape at all right now, but I like, I have to force myself to do hard stuff because I would just run easy miles all day. That's my choice of activity, easy miles all day, every day. If I had all the time in the world, I would work, I would do like four hours, but I don't. So really it's, it amounts to roughly that, that total of activities. It cracks me up that you're like, Oh, we share a garment. I'm sure someone would give you another garment. And like, you have Strava, like you're talking about pros now. I can't imagine you having like a YouTube channel. like being yeah. on Strava. I was a very um, prolific blogger though. I went years okay. of blogging every single day, every single day. Wow. Blows my mind. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no I'm not um I did enter the Havelina 100 so I'm like yeah. I'm not a million percent committed to it but I I would like to run 100 miles in the near future and I did put my name down for that in October um and I'm running 50 miles tomorrow for a girlfriend's 50th birthday so <laughs> that's my next event we're running we're just we're running like 50 miles up the coast tomorrow morning Sure. Yeah. I feel like people also need to like, you have business, you have like, I don't know how many athletes now with all your, cause you have like whatever, three or four coaches under you. Yeah. But you also have like four kids, like yep. three rescue dogs. Like you go to Hillary's house and it's just <laughs> insane. <laughs> As it was totally quiet right now because the nanny and my husband are all out at tennis lessons. So I have a silent <laughs> house for the moment. <laughs> yes. What is your favorite thing to do then out of all like, coaching, running Smash Fest, being a pro athlete. Why didn't you go back to academia? Like what was your favorite out of all those things? Coaching. Um, yeah. You know, I loved academia, but it's funny. It wasn't until I got into like really high level, like a, there was a small undergraduate honors program in English at USC. And I did that in my last couple of years and then on to grad school, which is very much the same like population. Um, 
in the PhD program as, as I had in the sort of in the honors program in my last couple of years at USC. But it wasn't until I, I always thought I was really smart <laughs> until I got there. And I was like, oh, no, like I am not that smart at all. And, um, and so that sort of really, really, really high level intellectual work is actually like does not come naturally to me at all. Um, and I was doing fine. And, and so, so, I mean, I was, I was like passing all my classes and all my exams and everything was good, but, um, it was interesting like to see people in there who were in their element, right. My, right. my colleagues and these people were amazing. I like love being around them, but they were, they were so much like a level above me. Um, but I loved, we, as a part of our, you know, so to pay for our school, we got to teach freshman writing. Um, I love teaching the freshmen. I love, 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 I love teaching and I love teaching young, young adults. Um, and, but the, you know, the, the research and that kind of stuff was, was always like such a huge challenge for me, which of course is part of why I loved it. But in coaching, I think I found that, like, this is my calling. Like, this is because I get to teach. And, mm. um, but it's, it's like teaching in this way. And it's also a lot of like counseling, um, <laughs> and therapy and, uh, pushing. I just love working with athletes and, and, and figuring out like what makes each one tick, which is always very different. Um, right. so where is an, this is why I love camps because I can see so quickly. I get to see where, athletes areas of strength and weakness lie and that helps inform the way that I train that athlete right and it's always a different formula for each person but that the camp setting is amazing because it's four days like four days under extreme duress you just like massively accelerate the relationship the coach athlete relationship right so I get to see what makes the athlete crack or like where they excel and they may <laughs> surprise you and that so that's just amazing so I love that whole complex formula of working with a human and helping them like get the most out of themselves. And I found, so like after having that time in academia and being in this world, I found like, this is like, this is the kind of teaching I like really love to do. And this is like, I just, yeah. this shit. just like watch people like, <laughs> I mean, just, you see it at camp. These people are doing things that they like never thought they could be able to do, you know, and they're just like so convinced they're not going to be able to do it. And then, put them in the right setting and give them the right tools and they just do amazing stuff. And I just, Oh, I just live for it. So, so I think I just, um, yeah, I just found that this is my, this is my jam. This is like, this is where I'm meant to be. I can say I like showed up to Hillary's camp two weekends ago, whatever it was. And I felt like such a, not an interlope, but like, I was just sort of like, Oh, I'm just here. I'm just going to do stuff. Like, <laughs> Oh, it was so good to have you. You were such good energy. It was so fun to, um, to have, like, it just, it's always every camp. I mean, I don't know. I've never had a bad camp, but like every camp I come away from it, like, oh, it was a perfect mix of people. It was so great. Like just, I, every, you guys all just work together so well. And I loved having like with my young Alex, my young, like super enthusiastic new pro. I love having you there with her because you're like the experienced one and you just like, know the ropes and so you could like harness Alex and all of her energy and that was great and she just like you guys had a, had a great little duo leading the pack and I just I loved it so much it did crack me up though and I bet if you like how quickly all the random little tricks come back to you to like get, <laughs> like, get through things that you're not prepared for <laughs> survival tactics 
Yeah. I was like, oh, these are all still in here. Yeah. Okay. But it's good. Like you have to like, your brain has to like be reminded of those things. Yeah. Do you think a certain kind of athlete is attractive? It seems like, I mean, obviously you have like a reputation, right? Do you think you get certain kinds of athletes that want to do the crazy, crazy things? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, yes, we do get people who are looking to do Ultraman, um, you know, want to get to Kona for the first time. I always love that project. Um, but we get all types. Some people, some that come and I, and I realize like they don't even know what they're in for, <laughs> um, which is also fun because I always know that even if they don't know what they're in for, we're always going to do a great job with them. And, and we're always going to challenge them where they're at and challenge them with in the ways that they need to be challenged. So I like taking on the whole gamut of projects. Um, but I, what I'm getting more and more of now, which I just love, is I'm getting more and more women coming to me saying, I want to get pregnant and I want to train through my pregnancy and I want to race afterwards and I want to come back and do an Ironman. Mm -hmm. um, but, but most specifically what they're looking for is someone to help them navigate training through that pregnancy. And they're literally coming to me before they even get pregnant. Right. Um, because they want that guidance. And I think that's a lot about, um, I've done that with a couple few athletes in the last like few years, but also I have experimented on myself now in two pregnancies in the last like four years. And really I, I've learned so much like through my experience and then the experience of the athletes that I've watched go through it. And I think these women want someone who's, who, is going to be smart, of course, but also not like baby them. Um, and they really, they want to still race mm -hmm. when they're pregnant. They want to um, come out of this as fit as they can. And, and, and maybe they want to keep that sort of part of their identity alive during pregnancy, which I think is so crucial. Um, I think so many women that are like, I hated being pregnant. It's because they like gave up their life to, grow the human. And, and I think people just kind of don't realize what, that they can maintain so much of the things that they enjoy doing um, during that pregnancy. Um, I have an athlete right now, Maisha, who qualified for Kona while pregnant in Muncie this fall. Oh God. Um, just like, you know, six weeks pregnant. Um, and and then she's she's training right now for the Phoenix Marathon. So she's gonna do the Phoenix Marathon in a couple of weeks at 25 weeks. We're aiming for like a 3:30 something. And um, and Aisha is one of those okay. unicorn people that because of the timing of when she qualified for Kona, because she qualified for Kona while pregnant, and it was a September September October early October race. She is going to have this baby at the end of May and race Kona like. Most people get pregnant and have to miss the Kona or whatever because of timing. Oh, she actually gets to race the Kona. And it was going to have like three, three and a half months to train for it, which is amazing. Huh. Do you think you're seeing more and more? I mean, it's certainly a growing trend, right? Do you think you're getting more and more of those women just because it is getting, I mean, we're seeing so many pros yeah. do it now. We're seeing like, I'm sure, I'm sure like those yeah. women too are helping people think that this is, yeah, you don't have to be done mm -hmm. or retire or, um, that you can still train and race when you have the kids and that kind of thing for sure. I think, and that was like not a thing when I was racing either. 
So uh, that's amazing to see so many women doing that now. All right. So what else is next? I mean, we, we've already just said you do all these things, but what is what else is next? What is on your horizon? What, uh, gosh, what we, um, we are, well, we will, I, I'm going to be at as many races as I can sporting my athletes. I'll be at St. George in May. <laughs> I'll be at Kona. Okay. Um, we'll be at Ironman, Arizona, um, at La Quinta. <laughs> I feel like I don't even know when you're at, I don't even know you're at a race until something you like pop up yeah. or Mikey pops up. I mean, we, we, like, we go to as many as we can. And we usually, I used to try to bring the whole family because um, I don't like to be away from my kids and my kids. I love that they are growing up on the race course. Like they just, they, it's like their jam. They just know like, this is what they do. They go to the race, they cheer and they, and I just think I love raising them in that environment. Um, I mean, Madison's been going to Ironman since he was like six weeks old. All of them have. So um mm-hmm. so yeah we go as much as we can and um so we will just be at as many many events as we can supporting our athletes we are putting on our first ever smash fest queen official like team camp for our sfq our age group team after oceanside we're having a little three-day camp here which will be not nearly as like intense uh training wise as my typical camp simply because we want to be able to include everyone on the team we have such a range of abilities also, we have a number of people who are going to race Oceanside. So they're going to race and then we're going to do the camp. So it's going to be right. mostly social, lots of movement, um, a couple of workouts they can make. We can make hard if they want to. That's going to be super fun. Um, I'm hoping to put on one more like kind of in, like quite intense training camp here, probably in August timeframe for my athletes racing Kona and fall Ironmans. Um yeah, so just lots more, lots more coaching. I don't even know what's happening. We're gonna, my athletes are going to tell us what's happening. My athletes, like, what my are they going to do this year? They always surprise me with their accomplishments. And um, we have several already qualified for Kona. So I'm stoked to be there with them for the first Kona in years. Holy moly. Touch wood. Um. <laughs> I know. I wrote an article yeah, and I literally say knock on wood. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I need to book my place though, because I feel like it's already crazy because there's going to be like double the amount of people racing. Oh yeah. And I need to find a house for like seven people. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is good luck. Like, good luck with that. Um, but we are already locked and loaded for St. George in May, which I'm very excited about. Very, very excited. Are you going to? Yes. I, uh, yeah, we'll be at all of those. I think St. George will be really fun. I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, and then what is the, out of all of your, you said the athletes are determining what you do. What's the craziest thing someone has planned right now then? Um, I feel like, I, I feel like, well, there's Alyssa, but I feel like I can't say it because I don't know if she's announced it. And it's actually, well, yeah, I don't think she's announced that she's doing it. But Alyssa, for reference, has done like, we had her on before. She did the FKT on the Appalachian, not the Appalachian Trail, the, the Long Trail. Um, yeah, she's crazy, I mean, I so. have, I mean, Dan Beaver is racing. I mean, his schedule is like Ultraman Arizona the St. George world championships, then Ironman, Texas, also, um, Ironman, Wisconsin, then Ironman Kona. And there's like one or two, I think maybe also doing Oceanside. There's one or two seventy point threes in there. So like I have people racing schedules like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Maisha doing her Ironman Hawaii, like four months after having her first baby is going to be amazing. I mean, I just, I just never know. I mean, they're like, seriously, the, like they're, they're always just outdoing themselves. So yeah. Oh, that's one more thing. We'll definitely have 
for those who are interested, we did our first ever running only camp last fall. We traversed the Backbone Trail in LA over three days. So 68 miles with was like 17,000 feet of elevation. Um, We did it over three days. We did point to point. We are going to do another trail running camp like that this fall, November timeframe, just like we did last year, because that was a raging success. It was so much fun, so social, but also so challenging. (laughs) Because like when you're on trail, right, what we were going like, you know, it's you're going, you're going long. So you're going kind of like cruisy pace. And so unlike the other two sports, people literally could talk all day. Like it was wild. Like we had such bonding. It was just the best ever because we all shared so many hours on trail and you're, you're like talkable the whole time. So it was this most fun camp. Uh, so, I mean, I, <laughs> most fun camp. here's my question though. Like I've what run was the backbone trail. I run it. I, well, okay. So I've run the backbone trail and I've run with you. How many times you did know you know what? Fall I never fell. We had a, it's amazing. Cause I trip all the time. Okay. I don't think I ever fell though. I mean, if I did, I'm not even remembering it. So I really don't think I did. We definitely had a couple of people fall and draw blood, but it was like nothing terrible, nothing really terrible. So that was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really, that trail is so freaking beautiful. I mean, I was just, it was really epic. Um, it was also yeah. like super technical. So yes. At least yes. The but like I said, it. we were not like, Kelly, the pace at which you were running that was not the pace that we were going. So that is part of why we stayed up right. So, um, yeah, but I think this fall we're going to do it, do like, we definitely want to revisit backbone because it was so cool, but because we have so many of the same athletes who want to come this year, we can't just like redo backbone. Um, so I think we will do something out in the desert this in November. So base ourselves out of like Palm Springs or Palm desert and do three different sort of memorable jaunts Mm. in that area. I feel like you're always making up things, you know, making well, up. Gotta keep it interesting, like. you know. <laughs> <laughs> last year, right before COVID, I had wanted to do uh, the Catalina yes. Swim Run and the LA Marathon on back-to-back weekends, and everyone else in the world thought it was stupid, and I was like, "Who yes, would have thought 100%. it was smart?" <laughs> and and yeah, like you said, little did we know that the world was going to end, and we should have been banging right. out all the races we right. could because it's going to be a while. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And I feel like everyone's gotten like a full <laughs> glimpse into, into Well, it helps that you remember things about my past that even I had forgotten. So thank you for the refresher. Because when you told me right before we started this podcast, we were talking about my racing. I was like, oh my God, do I even remember it anymore? But I'm glad you had these cues for me because there are things that I had forgotten. So that was very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Always fun to chat with Hillary. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening.